keep on kissing babies and hugging fat girls. Sell out full of suffering, suck attach, son. It's me, Austin. Oh, son of a bitch. What? It's me, Austin. It was me all along, Austin. And you teeth look like two tight too, Billy. And you book a match with me. That's right, Killing. Look at me. I'm a total package. I will rip him apart. I'm pissed now. Where to, Stephanie? <laughs> total. Marks with Dan St. Germain. Welcome everyone to Total F and Marks. I am the man of a thousand tweets, Andy Cups himself, Robert Karpolis. And yes, I am hosting this week. And if you're thinking, wow, this is the first time Robert's hosting, shame on you. It means you are not part of our Patreon. I had the opportunity to jump in the seat on Sunday. We covered the top five ECW matches per Dave Meltzer. It was worth it at twice the price. If you're not subscribing, you're making terrible life decisions like competing at NXT without a mask. But let's get to the co-host here. First of all, he is the guy who tells all of his St. Germaniacs to take their prayers and say their vitamins, the king of sad style himself, Dan St. Germain. Well, well, it's the big show. I don't know if you guys <laughs> that, that shows Kate. how much confidence you have in yourself. I don't know how have <laughs> you guys checked out cage side seats this week, but Robert was mentioned by the big show himself for yes. one of his tweets. Big show uh, is a Robert fan. Oh yeah. So what did big show say? What did he say? I, uh, I made a joke. They had him in a two on one handicap match. So I asked if he doesn't have a partner who can he turn heel on. And he replied with myself, question mark, <laughs> which was great, except for the fact he was on camera at the moment he supposedly tweeted it, which drives <laughs> me nuts. Wow. Continuing a lot of down. places to hide a phone on that body. A lot of places to hide a phone. Oh, that's a, that's a horrifying image. Speaking of horrifying, he is to comedy what Dolph Ziggler is to comedy. Silent Rage himself, Scott <laughs> Chaplin. Scott, Holy uh, shit, it's turned into a roast. <laughs> how are you, Scott? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. It's uh, it's Fourth of July weekend. I'm excited to see uh, Lex Luger slam Yokozuna. It's uh, it's a big time here. <laughs> but uh, we're we're gonna uh, we're gonna kick things off with uh, Extreme Rules is coming up, and the tagline that they have now rammed down everyone's throat is that it is the horror show. Dan, what, is, what does that mean to you? <laughs> I don't know, man. I think that all of these, I mean, you've worked there, so you know you, you've been around like actual wrestling business more than me and Scott, but this just feels like such a Vince idea, where he's like, we'll make it a horror show, and there'll be alligators in a swamp. <laughs> and I, he, he's definitely not realizing that like, yeah, this off the heels of Saudi Arabia and COVID and speaking out and all the layoffs isn't the best name at all for the show. All he sees is we're going to make it like Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't know. What do you think? I think it's a hat on a hat. I think that Extreme Rules is one of the few pay-per-views that has the built-in gimmick that you're going to get the extreme rules matches, the hardcore matches, you don't need to, to double tag it. 
but uh, they they can't help themselves. This was when I was there. I remember WrestleMania that year was uh, was big time. We had to hear that Peter Gabriel song so much that if you called into WWE, and this is true, and they put you on hold, it played that song on a loop. So I can never hear that song as long as I live. But damn it, the kids love Peter Gabriel. Scott, are you more excited for Extreme Rules now that it is a horror show? <laughs> I, well, I'm definitely more confused. Um, is this their way of getting away from having, you know, extreme type of matches um, and, and more of like these, these goofy camera things they're doing, like teleportation? Is this an excuse to kind of <laughs> lean on that more? Um, than to actually have guys hurt each other in an empty arena? My guess is Bruce, not knowing Vince was behind him, was describing all the TV as being a horror show. And when Vince <laughs> called him out, he's like, oh, no, boss, that's the idea. It's going to be a horror show. <laughs> that is so possible. It's, it's about 80% there. Because I think yeah. they've done a decent job with this pay-per-view of the whole idea of doing an extreme rules match is you want heated feuds and you've got Seamus Jeff Hardy, which is a pretty heated feud. Rey Mysterio, Seth Rollins, which is heated. You can easily escalate the, the Drew and Dolph stuff as necessary. And then Braun and uh, whatever version of Bray Wyatt we're this, getting. This is a swamp match. Like what the, are they going to be, they're going to be fighting around alligators. Is there, are there going to be Carl Hyacinth characters in the background? What is fucking going on? I think, I think I think the end is going. You're it, it's going to be an unclear finish, but it's going to be um, Strowman screaming "Drain the swamp" and like pulling a lever, and then Wyatt is going to get like sucked into it. I'm hoping for a giant inflatable alligator to be involved in this somehow. Like it's like uh, Happy Gilmore style. Where oh, they're for sure the doing prop. It. They're doing a prop gator, right? They have to. Well, they set it up with that that Braun promo on SmackDown, where he was like, you know, we're we're in the we're in the swamp, and then a, a moccasin comes up, and Bray Wyatt lets him bite his face. It was very Jake Roberts Ultimate Warrior ish, which would have been fine, except Braun's delivery is just like a bad monologue reading. Uh, I think we're in for another one of these House of Horrors, wacky, goofy swamp stuff. On Do the we... plus side, no Eric Rowan and a giant spider. Well, I mean, as of now. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I was actually just going to ask that. Do you think there will be a surprise within the swamp? Do you think like a Papa Shango would, um, would exist there? A Skinner. Who, yeah. Ooh. Ma uh, maybe, maybe Lars Sullivan comes back, huh? <laughs> what if the horror show is just showing some of the Lars Sullivan adult videos that they've found and got the rights to? <laughs> I, Have you ever I, seen that uh, porn? It, they're very intimate. Like, there's a lot I, of making out. I didn't, but I wouldn't have taken him for uh, for the passionate type. Gentle it's giant, nice, you know, it's nice. All right, as nauseating as that is, we're gonna uh, we're gonna move on here to. Uh, there was a bunch of uh, fake pay per views that happened uh, last evening from when we recorded this. Uh, the first of which was night one of Fighter Fest. It, it, and and I'm just going to start off before even getting to that. Is is fighter is fighter fest or or, or fire fest even still a, a reference that resonates in society? It felt like a one off joke, and now they're just kind of sticking with it. I agree Throwing with that. Out. I agree with that initial 
statement. I think it's going to be hard to break in any new pay-per-view during these COVID times. So maybe they just leaned on that. Um, we lost Scott briefly, but he'll be back. He got uh, so disgusted. Yeah. <laughs> he was so disgusted by this. Yeah, I, 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 I you know, I, I, I was fine with it, but I also see that they don't need to do it next year. So this is, this is to you the two and through for Fighter Fest, for the name. I hope so. I mean, I hope it goes the way of WWE's Capital Punishment or some of the other, like Great really Balls of Fire. Great Balls of Fire, you know. But at least like Great Balls of Fire, for as dumb as it was, wasn't just it wasn't an of the moment kind of gag that just makes it feel dated. It's just seeing the name Fighter Fest made it feel very, you know, you're you're recycling a year old joke, and I don't know that people you know, even even like oh I vaguely remember this from from happening. It's like the where's the beef lady at WrestleMania coming back for a second year. <laughs> they should they should do a Zoom call uh, with that guy from Present. Have him and uh, Jordan Belfort and fuck throw OJ in there. Everybody who's been disgraced. They could have got Ja Rule to uh, sing the national anthem. I think that would have been that could have been. How much could it have possibly cost? to get Ja Rule to show up. We're we're assuming that he's not already there at the Performance Center. Um, No, I can't can't imagine it would be that much. I don't know how much you were there. Like, how much was it? Like, if they brought in, I'm trying to think of like a, like a middle, like a middle card band. Like, if they brought in, um, if they brought in, um, let me see, like, like like lit or some some like what's like a band that like had a one like a one hit wonder like a better than Ezra or something like that. How much would they pay them? So they wouldn't necessarily pay them. What they would most likely do if they were if there was a band that was ever on WWE programming, there was a promotional tie-in at some point. Right. So when they were on the the Viacom Teat, there was all the, the the different synergies that were going on from their record label. So they would plug in, hey, let's get Shine Down and give them a, uh, a moment in the sun, or when Motley Crue was randomly there to, to christen Test. Um, but I, I think uh, for, for AEW to shell out money to, to get Ja Rule for something so like this. It's fucking crazy that Test is dead, but Motley Crue is still alive. They're alive, and they're, they, they, they're the Terry Funk of music. They keep retiring and coming back, and people keep selling for them. Um, so we'll, we'll break down fighter fest kind of, we'll do a quick match by match, uh, thing sure. here. Uh, the opening will be with what, us soon. He, he just told me to keep going. So, okay. Well, they don't know that he's not here. They think he's just listening and rasp anticipation. He has no opinion. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jurassic express with Marco stunt against MJF and Wardlow. Dan, man, this was, you know, the highlight for me of the night, uh, as far as fighter fest, not, not for the night of wrestling. But uh, I thought, you know, MJF, once again, had a great promo. I thought the match was really fun. My only complaint with Luchasaurus is I wish he did a little less. I, I could say that uh, about a few things that night uh, for the night of Fighter Fest. But I do wish, like, like, he can pull off all these Lucha moves and they look really good. But I think he should only do half of them. Um, but, you know, I thought that, you know, everybody's character was was so succinct. And the match itself was a lot of fun. And I, I, I don't think any other match was as good as that uh, for the night of Fighter Fest. That, that's my opinion. All right. Scott, what were your thoughts on Jurassic Express, uh, MJF, and Wardlow? Oh, I loved it so much. I thought it was an absolute blast. 
start to finish. <laughs> no, I really did. I thought AEW is really good with opening matches. Um, very good. I feel like they do something in an opening match that is very, you can only get it there. And I don't quite know what it is. Maybe it's just young talent. There's always like some young guy who's, who's amazing. I think obviously all of them in this particular instance, but um, specifically Jungle Boy looked awesome. MJF's promo was great. Acknowledging that there's a rating war was fun. Don't do it all the time, obviously. And I actually loved his robe. Yeah. Uh, even though, yeah, I loved it. It was different. It, it was something I haven't seen either in a long time or ever. Yeah. <laughs> Who else ever wore something like that? Uh, Sandow. Sandow. Okay, yeah, that was like a Sandowy thing, yeah. I thought the match was a, was a lot of fun. Um, obviously, I wasn't thrilled with the finish because I think it's too early to really start putting the wedge in between MJF and Wardlow, especially because they made a point of calling out this is the first time they've teamed up on television and Wardlow is uh, continues to surprise me for being a very talented big man. And I don't know how WWE slept on this guy and, and didn't try to snatch him up at some point. I think he is a real diamond in the rough for them. The worst thing about that guy is his name. Like he's, he's got an amazing persona. He's great in the ring. Great look. Just his name is the only thing I'm like, why the fuck did you go with Wardlow? And this match, to me, showed the best and the worst of Chris Jericho on commentary. I think when Jericho put over how great MJF's promo was, it was a nice endorsement. Making fun of his robe was good. Uh, trying to do the callback on Canada Day seven or eight times in the match was a little grating to me. And I couldn't tell. He uses one tone of voice for everyone. So I can't tell if he's mocking Luchasaurus or he's cheering for him or he's burying MJF, or he's putting him over. He, he needs to kind of level that out a little bit. Is he trying to be an honest commentator, or is he always trying to be a heel? It's kind of hard to tell. Yeah, it's very in and out. I, I, I love Jericho, but it did feel – this was the first time it felt like too much ice cream, you know? You're like, you're like this is great, but, you know, like, I, I don't know if I needed that many jokes in this segment. Yeah, it was a little exhausting. Next up was the uh, AEW Women's Championship. Uh, Hikaru Shida defeated Penelope Ford. Uh, Scott, I said a Japanese name. I thought it was name. great. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I really thought it was a great match. I mean, I definitely judge on a curve, which is kind of weird. I'm, like, very low on their women's division. But this was a, this was a great match anywhere. If, if this was an NXT Women's match, I'd go, yeah, this was, this was really good. Yeah. It was a really good match. Dan? Penelope Ford is fucking, uh, like, in a year or so, she's money, man. Oh, Penelope Ford is very good. I, I think the, the only bummer with Penelope Ford is you almost wish that she was in NXT to wrestle people that were better because in five years she's going to be fantastic. If she doesn't get hurt, sometimes she does these Frankensteiners and almost lands on her neck. But uh, she, she was great. I think she does very good in the ring. You know, the, the worst thing, the worst choreographed move that night was from Kip Sabian. Like, he threw up that oh. uh, kendo stick in such, like, a theatrical middle school way. And then Sheeta got it, and, you know, and Sheeta looked good. But I just, I'm not down with Kip Sabian. He's the only part of the match that, that for me, kind of dragged a little. He, yeah. he, 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 he felt very weak to me. Um, I think it's weird that both NXT and AEW had matches revolving around a, a male competitor being made to be emasculated and, and look weak against a, a strong female competitor. 
it's mm -hmm. kind of like a Bugs Life and Ants where somehow they both knew what was going on and they did their own version of it. This match <laughs> completely shocked me how much I loved it. Penelope Ford is a great heel when she's uh, an on-screen persona. She wrestles so much like a baby face, though, that I feel like when they eventually turn her, she's going to be what WWE hopes Liv Morgan is. I think that Pen Penelope has a, a unique look, and I think she does a lot of really exciting and fun moves that if they ultimately turn her baby face, there's, there's something there. I agree. Next up, the uh, AEW TNT Championship, the American Nightmare Cody with Arn Anderson in his vest defeated uh, Jake Hager. Dan? <laughs> I thought it, you know, I, I thought it was a little underwhelming. They got the finish right. They made, you know, Hager look strong while still losing. I think Hager's uh, wife as a manager is a heat magnet. I don't know why she's not there all the time. She's great. She kind of reminds me of like, like almost like uh, the old WCW valets. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I was saying this to Scott over text last night is that when you do an open challenge, like you got to look at the successful open challenges. Like the John Cena open challenge was terrific. It got everybody on the internet, even on a side who was anti John Cena. And I just don't think – I love Cody. I think he's an awesome baby face. I love – you know, I, I like a lot of his in-ring work. Uh, I've loved his match with Dustin. But he can't carry different styles the way that Cena does. And I think that that's becoming more evident. Every time that Cena had an open challenge match, you really felt like he was showcasing the other performer. And this just felt like – I don't know. It felt like a mid-card WWE match. Yeah. Scott, you want to shit that's on it too? Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of. That's kind of a great point. Like these these matches have been showcasing Cody um, more than anyone. I mean, is that completely true? Jungle Boy looked great, you know. Um, I think they're trying yeah, to. Yeah, he's him. just. I, I feel like all of his matches, he's like doing an impression of a major pay-per-view blowout and it's like none of it's none of that's there for that to happen and so it just again comes off like an impression of it and they're good matches and with the crowd they, they'd be obviously much better um but they're not really doing it for me i think Cody's but, but also a hager doesn't necessarily do it for me so yeah that's fair i think cody comes across a lot like a really good cover band where he can play everything uh, competently and he's really good, but there's something that's just always lacking. And when he's trying to treat it like he's such a big deal and it's such an honor to share the ring with him, he really hasn't established that yet in AEW. If this role was occupied by, say, Kenny Omega, and Omega, who has this reputation of being probably one of the best wrestlers in the world, and it's an open challenge where anybody can try to face him and prove how good they are, you have a totally separate dynamic. Hager, I, I, this is a small thing and it annoyed me, him not wearing the singlet, he is a big, strong man. I've worked with him, very nice guy. He looks a little bit like melted ice cream, and it becomes distracting at certain points where he looks like a legitimate fighter who doesn't have the six-pack, but it does take away from the presentation a little bit. Though AEW shoots him in a different angle than WWE did, where Hager actually looks like a big, giant monster. 
And that's been that's something that's effective. Uh, that's very true. Goofy finish. It was, like, it was a goofy finish on top of a goofy finish. Dustin coming out and laying out Hager. And then they do. Wait, what the, the hell was that? So I thought that was going to be the finish. And then it was Hager locks him in the submission, but Cody pins him. And then Jake thinks he won. It was, they, it was very. Even, even though Cody's music is playing. And then Hager attacks the ref, even though Dustin's there. It was a very, it felt very WCW in this instance. And I think that gave me a, a, a little, a little pause for concern. Uh, I mean, I mean, Cody got more help than Hager got in this match. He, and that's another common thing where like, we're, we're seeing Arn the kind of cheat for Cody. Yeah. And, and Jericho's and supposed the only to one that, it's, yeah. ah, it's confusing. Jericho's the only one that pointed it out. So I don't know if they're really trying to lay the seeds and this is a, a, you know, uh, a, a stealth way to really build this Cody turn that Dan is convinced is coming, or it's just uh, kind of lazy, lazy booking on their part. But, but again, it's like that, that could happen if there's a crowd reacting to it, yeah. then we would know exactly what's going on in this situation. I do not know what they're trying to do. It, it's hard to tell. It feels like a lot of wheel spinning of what's going on, but you know what, if they needed to make this feel like a pay-per-view and they want to steal an audience from NXT for a casual audience. You put two former WWE guys in there, and there's a title. Hey, it worked. Uh, next up, uh, Private Party with uh, Michael P.S. Matt Hardy defeated Santana and Ortiz. <laughs> Scott, did, uh, did, this, I like, did this move you? Um, it moved me in the way Private Party matches move me where I just, again, I get excited about young talent wrestling on a major network, um, and I get excited about what's to come. Uh, a lot of high-flying up front, but I like that. I expect that from them. It was good. Again, I, I feel like most of the show you're going to hear a lot of, that was good for me. There was like two major highlights for me that we haven't gotten to yet. But, yeah, it worked. But uh, – that was when I was leaning more towards NXT throughout the, you know, when, when you have a match like that and it's like, well, well, these, these people fighting, no one really told me they're important, you know, um, even though I like all of them, but because there's no importance. And again, these are like pay-per-view shows. I'm kind of tuning out. Why is it that this was the first time, at least I heard it, that they mentioned that Santana Ortiz and private party were all at the same wrestling school. And that there was this long-standing rivalry or dislike for these guys. This was, to me, the first time I had, I had heard that really mentioned on AEW TV. And if they said it before, they really didn't hammer it home a lot. Yeah, no, I've never heard that. And also, it's like, what are they doing at the same – private party just started. And Santana and Ortiz have been around forever. Yeah, I was, I was not thrilled with the outcome of the match. I, I like Santana Ortiz a lot, and I feel like they take – a lot of losses for the inner circle. Yeah, well, actually, I, th I, I think that was, like, a common thing that they were trying to do, and yet they didn't, where, like, the inner circle is losing. Uh, they are not in great shape. And I think if they highlighted that more, I would have been fine with the loss. But since they didn't, it felt pointless. Well, I think we talked about on the, on the preview for this that this whole thing was kind of built around Sammy and Matt Hardy having a little bit of a feud. So I feel like there was a spot that was supposed to happen here that they couldn't do, and now you're stuck with the underlying match. And they tried to dress it up by putting Orange Cassidy out there, but 
it didn't, it just didn't come together. It just kind of felt like, Hey, this was a match and it was fine. And it could have been on AEW dark. And I don't think anyone would have been uh, terribly devastated over it. Yeah. However, was this, was this the part of the show that uh, Jericho attacked Cassidy? After this match was over, that's, this is when uh, Isaiah Kennedy comes over to start dancing. Jericho throws something at him, and then it turns into the brawl with uh, Orange Cassidy and Jericho. Yeah, I, uh, I liked the, that brawl. I thought visually that was like, there's something about this feud that if you watch it on mute, I think it, it's like a perfect feud. When you turn it on and you realize, oh, there's no one really here and blah, 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 yeah. But these weird, like, Looney Tune moments of, like, Jericho going after Orange and Orange walking away and everybody running out and holding them both back, but Orange is just strutting away. Like, it was so well done. Uh, I don't know. I loved that. Did you guys notice that at all? Did you think it was cool? I mean, am I alone here? No, I really liked the feud, but... I don't think the viewers do because I think their segment last week was the lowest rated uh, that they, that they had like between Jericho and orange Cassidy. So, which doesn't make any sense because those are the two most over people. Yeah. And pro wrestling tees. Um, I think out of like the top five, orange Cassidy has like the four, like four out of the top five best selling shirts. Unreal. I think he know you know, he knows his character. Well, uh, they know how to play off of it nicely. He, he, there's, there's never a moment where it feels inauthentic, even though he's playing such an out there character that he knows exactly what he's doing and, and how to do it. And I think that's probably why something like this kind of worked. Uh, I, next I, up, I'm sorry, okay. I've said it before and I'll say it again, that Orange Cassidy is their undertaker. It's a gimmick that shouldn't work, but it works great. That makes perfect you think it's sense. Gonna last, you think it's going to last uh, decades? Uh, I could last change a it while. Up. I think it's going to last a while. I really think it's going to last. I think we're going to be surprised at how long it lasts. I don't think it's going <laughs> to yeah, last. Yeah, I am too. It's yeah. take her 30 years, but I think it's going to last longer than a... I just want, at the end of it, uh, uh, like a five-part documentary. <laughs> the last squeeze? <laughs> oh, I love it. I think he can change his character. If he changes the color of his shirt, you can get six months of TV off of that. You're absolutely right. That's all you need. You need something subtle or something weird where maybe now he wears a hat or he wears a sombrero and he starts wrestling as a luchador. There's so many yeah, weird, yeah. goofy things that you can only do with him. I think, Dan, you're 100% right. He is their, their undertaker palette and they can do different mm-hmm. things. Next up, probably the biggest moment of the show, most talked about for, for sure, probably biggest of the week was Taz's, uh, it's a hard name to keep pluralizing, <laughs> Taz's promo with Brian Cage uh, designed to talk about how they're moving the, the Moxley fight to uh, July 15th. Uh, but the big moment was uh, him taking the big shot at WWE and saying that AEW doesn't run a sloppy shop. Dan. What do you think? I love Taz's segments. I, I, I don't – my one complaint with Taz is that I don't know if he necessarily puts over the person he's managing, uh, especially because the he's using his own catchphrase, which I don't think Paul Heyman did with, with Brock Lesnar in the beginning. But, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I thought it was, it was fine. Apparently people in WWE are annoyed about it, but I don't know if that's just internet noise. Uh, yeah. Why would they be annoyed about it? Because he took he took the that. shot at him on TV, and and they uh, 
they don't like that. They don't like to make it seem like they haven't been the most forthright and honest and, and clean company that's, uh, that's running right now. So their competitor yeah. went with a, uh, a low blow on, on national TV. And, and I can already hear how they're spinning it of, you know, this is AEW trying to exploit a, a tragedy. And, and we have a number of our, our WWE family who are suffering from COVID and they want to make light of this. How dare they? Yep. <laughs> uh, it was fine, except Brian Cage in the background doing the shoot uh, symbol made him just look like a complete goof. It, Dan, to your point, it made Taz look like he's the star and Brian Cage is the muscle. Guys, maybe Taz should be the star, though. I think it'd be a better match. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I thought this was a lot of fun. This was a segment that my girlfriend watched with me, and she was like, this is perfect. Like, this is based off of what she saw there and then what she's seen when she walks into the room uh, and sees WWE just existing in the Twilight Zone. Um she thought this was great that they were acknowledging so your that. girlfriend also like because my girlfriend uh, my, my wife has that stuff too where it's like like they see the they're the ultimate casual fan because they don't really like wrestling but they know when like an object is shiny and you said that she had that with like tanahashi too like the new japan guys right yeah yeah oh yeah like before even just you know she doesn't have any idea who's who but if she walks in a room she can look at a, a at a naito and go, oh, that guy is really great, and then walk out. Like, there is an element that we often forget because we kind of just exist in, in knowing so much about this. But there is a thing as, like, you know, star quality. And, I mean, you guys know it. It's fucking hard for somebody who isn't into this to walk past the screen and take it seriously often, like way too often. Um, so when it does happen, it's like, ooh, you kind of feel <laughs> – like we did so, you know, and so that task segment sticks out to me because it was like, oh, something that I don't have to explain to people as a cool thing. And it I, was cool. And I like that he was being such a subtle heel with trying to call Moxley out for just being afraid of Cage. He's like, look, I get it. You want to be safe, but they've tested you and you were clean. They yeah, tested you weird. again and you were clean, <laughs> but you want to use this as an excuse to dodge us a week? Go ahead. You, you be safe. You stay home. I love that kind of, it's just a great little way of exploiting the situation and using it on television. Um, Did you feel that Taz story on our podcast yet? And can you? The one on the plane? uh, um, I don't know if I told that on the, you know what? I'll I'll put this as a teaser. I will tell it this Sunday on the Patreon. Uh, And it is worth uh, every, every penny of that. Uh, unless Taz listens and he decides he wants to beat the shit out of me, in which case uh, I, I, I have nothing but respect for you, Taz. You're the best. And you don't know where I live now. It's a gated community. Fuck off. Uh, the main event for Fighter Fest, the AEW World Tag Team Championship, Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page beat the best friends. Uh, we were all universally excited for this match going into it. Uh, <laughs> Scott, uh, did this live up to the hype? Scott jumped <laughs> off the call rather than so annoyed by your question. I'll, I'll, I think that I'll was dodging. I, I look, it's just very hard for me to take the best friend seriously. I, I like Trent Beretta. I think he's, you know, like he can, you know, sell like a motherfucker. Uh, I thought the, you know, the in ring action was good. I just, you know, if you're trying to build a tag division and they have so many great elements, you know, the Young Bucks, FTR. 
Omega and Page, the the Lucha Bros. Why are why are you, you know, including? I don't know, man. I mean, like the the biggest thing about them is Orange Cassidy, and you know, it it seems like they're kind of an afterthought. But you know, I mean, was it a fun match? Sure. I I really the ending of the match. I really was expecting. Uh, FTR to break the beer bottles over Kenny Omega and, and Hangman Adam Page's heads. Uh, I get why they didn't. They want to like really slow roll this and make it like, you know, they respect all the tag teams in the division or whatever. But it's hard to, you know, when you have the main event of NXT be as good as it was to close on just again, like kind of like a weird dissension spot. I understand how that works if you're talking about the elite, but to have dis- like just mild, subtle dissension among a tag division. I don't know. It doesn't work for me. I feel like they should have pulled the trigger more at the end. I was disconnected from the, from the moment that the best friends pulled up in Chuck's mom's van. I get that it was a funny (laughs) thing. It it made me laugh. I thought it was a funny thing to see. Oh, they pulled up in the van making fun of the FTR entrances, but it immediately removed any credibility whatsoever from the best friends to tag team. And I was as suspect as anyone about how this was going to work. And they spent such a nice, amount of time doing those video packages making you care about the best friends as a legitimate tag team and not just two guys taking this like a joke and then they pull up in the minivan and he kisses his mom goodbye and Jim Ross sells it I'm like all right this is a this is a total farce so we're just kind of killing time until we can get to the post-match shenanigans and uh, the king of shenanigans Scott has rejoined us so Scott what did you think of the main event of Fighter Fest okay the match was good it was good right um I thought Omega was selling so much that it was like a little bit of an over, there was a little bit of Jim Carrey going on there. Uh, and I, I rarely ever say that. Um, but goddamn, I mean, he landed on his neck like three or four times in the match and just bounced like RVD used to. Um, I thought that was a little much, but you know, every time him and Trenton were in the ring, I loved it. I thought the end was fantastic. I actually loved the entrance. I got a kick out of the entrance. I thought it was a blast. Um, the reason I thought it worked was because this whole time they've been kind of silly. And so giving them this entrance was like, ooh, they're giving them a pay-per-view entrance, even though it was, you know, a van that they didn't even rent, I'm sure, you know. Um, but it worked for me because it was different than walking down the ramp. I don't know. It just worked for me. But, yeah, they're, they're – like, Do these guys just train – like the way Kenny Omega lands on his neck all the time. Do they just build up their muscles up? Like, how does that even fucking work? I think there's a degree of they, they try to strengthen their neck as much as possible, but even that is one of those kind of like wacky myth things, like how Samoans have hard heads so they can, they can take a different shot. You're, you're going to land on your neck, and you're invincible up until the moment that you're not. And if you think that you know a safe way to do it and you start getting that confidence, you're going to take that bump more and more and you know 30 times in a row you might be fine the 31st time you might land slightly different i mean think about if you the way you sleep in your bed you know one night you sleep weird you have a crick in your neck it doesn't mean that uh the the ways you're doing it before were necessarily unsafe it's just your neck is a very sensitive dangerous area and if you mess with that in some way you're in you're in real trouble i uh i will say this about chucky t i think he's a great wrestler I, I don't think he looks like presentable in a ring, right? I don't think he does. 
And so when he does those cool moves where a guy lands on his neck, instead of going, oh, what a cool move, I go, oh, he, he's sloppy and fucked it up. Like, because he looks sloppy, the moves kind of look sloppy, even though if a fit guy did it, I'd go, wow, what a force. So you're telling Chuck to, to hit the gym, get a tan, get a haircut. I know that sounds dumb, but yeah. No, I like it. You're going to be an NXT scout before No, this I mean, but over. like at some point you do have to go like, this guy looks I like agree. shit, right? I, I always feel I'm weird sure doing good. that, but it's like, this guy looks like he could give a shit about, I mean, when he looks worse than like, he looks like the same as I do without a shirt on, which is like, I don't do anything. Uh, and I hate myself for it. Like, so it's like, how is this guy a wrestler doing that? I, I don't want to sound like a disco inferno, but it's like, what the shit, man? No, I, you're completely right. Like, I think that in every wrestling roster, there should be different body types, but they all have to look. The thing about Dusty Rhodes is he looked like a wrestler. Like, yes, he was fat, but he looked like a wrestler. He was his own type. The thing about Chuck Taylor, he just looks like, a normal guy and I, I you know he doesn't look bad he doesn't look good he just kind of looks normal and maybe that's good to normalize that but for me like the most normal a pro wrestler should look is Daniel Bryan and he still looks like he could kick the fuck out of yes. us so I'm fine of Chuck looking normal if he's not pulling off moves that he shouldn't look like he should be doing it, it's a, it goes back to the idea of you're exposing the business a little bit where all right theoretically anybody can can do this um that's uh we'll, we'll put a bow on on fighter fest for now we're going to shift gears uh dusty Rhodes had three sons he had dustin he had cody and he had the great american bash and the wwe decided to just stick it to cody uh, as much as possible by hosting the bash and then stick it to tony khan by putting a bunch of cars out there because we know how much tony khan loves cars and professional wrestling at the same time uh, the Great American Bash, unlike uh, Fighter Fest, did not have uh, pyro, uh, but it had a, uh, a, a big-time pay-per-view feel in a lot of ways. So the, the opening match, a fatal four-way elimination match for the number one contendership for the NXT Women's Championship, which, how did they fit that on a graphic? Uh, Tegan Knox, Dakota Kai, Mia Yim, and Candice LeRae. Uh, this was a, uh, an interesting elimination match. Uh, Dan, we'll start with you. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, Tegan is is very good. She's she's underrated. Okay. I mean, this whole pay per view, I, to to go through this pay per view, and I I just you know, uh, cat out of the bag. Spoiler alert: I thought NXT had a way better show than AEW. But the reason that it had a way better show is because it had two matches on it that were just like you know like above the rest, uh, which were Timothy Thatcher versus Oni Lorcan and uh, Io Shirai versus Sasha Banks. But this match was, it was good. It was fine. I, 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 dug the, I dug all the cars. I know some people thought it was cheesy. It, it does feel like an unfair fight when you're, when you're taking the competition's father's idea and using it against him. But they had a better show. I don't know. What do you think? I think the uh, elimination match was, it was very paint by numbers. You put four women in there who all have issues with one another and you just kind of played it out in the way that I would have expected them to, to do it. What I was surprised the most with was that Candice LeRae was the first to go because then you wind up in this awkward situation of two baby faces and a heel. 
And that's never a great position to put your, your baby faces in. I think if they could have gotten a quick pin on Mia Yim, get rid of her, and then Dakota Kai and Candice have the opportunity to, to be in a two-on-one situation with Tegan Knox, it makes Tegan's eventual win feel that much bigger. And, and that might just be more of a, a, a nitpick than anything else, but it was, it was perfectly fine. Scott? Yeah, I actually agree completely where I go, this could have been better. Um, but also who am I to say that this could have, like, it, it was good. It was a good match. It was, um, it was the opening match and it wasn't something that I was tuning in for. Um, I would have preferred just not elimination. Um, because I think a big trend in the great American batch, which I did uh, enjoy a lot was everything was a little too long. That's fair. Um, Next up was Timothy Thatcher and uh, Oni Lorcan. Uh, Dan kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit, but Dan, I'll let you grab that cat and uh, I, play with I, it. I love this match. I thought Oni Lorcan put over Timothy Thatcher and and just about the the purest way you can. Uh, I, I thought I think Thatcher's money. I think he could be a big deal for them. He's got a great look. He's great in the ring. A lot of really uh, great chain wrestling. It reminded me of the Eddie Guerrero D Malenko match that we watched on our Patreon this past Sunday. Uh, the The finish was a little rushed, but you know, I, you, I I couldn't be happier with an undercard match. Scott, yeah. So what we saw last night in that match is what every New Japan match has had since they've been back. Um, at some point in the match where uh, it's like, oh, wow, these guys are really slapping each other. These guys are really – like, they've, they've made wrestling more realistic, and so it's easier to consume when there's nobody there, when you are in an uncomfortable position, because it doesn't look like practice. It looks like they're trying to knock each other's teeth out. Um, I really liked it. I agree with Dan. The finish wasn't for me. But I expect that a lot from NXT, and I actually expected that more on this show. So I, I'm 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 more than happy with that match. That match went great. I that was probably my favorite match last night. I can't wait for Thatcher versus Cesaro. By the way, that match is going to be a fucking barn burner. Oh, I hope it happens. This was uh, this was two men fighting. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's the clearest way. There was no over-the-top gimmicks. There was no reliance on a lot of wacky shit. This was what a certain type of pro wrestling is to fans. And I like that NXT just gave that to you, and they didn't try to put a bunch of bells and whistles in there. Uh, I I liked uh, Morrow's little shout-out to uh, Lance Storm, pointing out that he was uh, Oni's teacher that made the single leg crab seem like a much more legitimate move than just, Hey, we're going to a rest hold. It was no, no, no. The guy who trained him has specialized in this move. So if he puts stature in it, you're, you're, you're setting off the red flag of, Hey, this is an important moment in the match. Uh, I thought it was, it was great. It was a nice buildup of the Thatcher packages that NXT has been doing the last few weeks. And uh, it there, I mean, there was no wrestling dinosaur, but it was good. Uh, <laughs> This was then followed by, uh, I, need a, I need a drink, uh, Rhea Ripley in a two-on-one handicap match against Aaliyah and Robert Stone. 
Uh, Scott, why was this the best match of all time? <laughs> okay. I will say this. I liked it for what it was. I thought I was going to despise it. I thought it was too long. I don't want to see this happening. Rhea Ripley deserves better, et cetera, et cetera. But for what it was, I was like, they are having fun with this. I thought the finish was cool. Uh, and that's all you can ask for in a situation like that. But yeah, it went too long. Um, I don't quite know why they put her in this position right now. You know, when these things happen, you scratch your head and you wonder, is this punishment? But then when you're seeing it happen, you go like, oh, but also she is showing more of a sports entertainment side of her. And I didn't, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I mean, our favorite wrestlers are put in these positions constantly, especially in that company. And I thought she knocked it out of the park for what it was. Dan? Look, I, I know I'm in the minority here, but I think Robert Stone is great at his gimmick. Uh, he's, a fun, he's a fun manager. The match was what it was, but, you know, it, it was the right result. And, uh, you know, it could have been shorter. I, I basically agree with everything that Scott said, except for I want to put Robert Jordan, I mean, uh, Robert Stone over even more. I just think it's funny to have, like, that vulnerable of a heel manager. I agree. I thought for sure the way that they made him look like such a comic joke in this match was going to lead to a payoff where he had signed some other client and there was some uh, just monster waiting to attack Rhea Ripley. And that's where the payoff of this is going to be. That he was going to get his comeuppance for a while and, and him and Aaliyah were going to get bounced around, which was fine. And then they could have brought in like a a Tamina-esque or a Nia Jax-esque sort of competitor who's going to be Rhea Ripley's next opponent. Uh, they, they could still do that somewhere down the line. I think there's a lot of mileage in the Robert Stone character. It's fun to have a manager. It's strange that it's him just because he, he can operate in the ring. You know, it's, it's a, uh, it, it's an, he's an actual wrestler. It's, it's not like Bobby Heenan who wrestled for a while and then made the transition of manager for a variety of reasons. Uh, Robert Stone, if they moved him to the main roster tomorrow to, to wrestle, he would be fine in it. So it's a little strange seeing him as the bumbling, I really don't know exactly what I'm doing, but he has a much better physique than Chuck Taylor, who's main eventing Fighter Fest. <laughs> uh, yeah, went, went a little too long. Um, I, I think it, it hurt Aaliyah more than anything that she made, was made to look this bad. They got their comedy spots in. They did the, she's in the corner, and then they crotch him. I was surprised how much they were allowed uh, male and female interaction. In an, in an intergender match. So I don't know if this is them slowly trying to warm the audience up to it or, or what, but uh, it, was, uh, it was an interesting choice. Again, I think we all agree could have been shorter. Uh, next up, the strap match, Dexter Loomis and Roderick Strong. Dan, I'll let you uh, feel this. I can't look. I, I just... I don't even know if Dexter Loomis is good or bad at his gimmick. I just know that the gimmick does not work on that show. I actually think he's a fine wrestler. I, I, think, he's, I think he's playing the gimmick as, as well as anybody could be. I just, when you're, when you're in, a, in the ring with Roderick Strong and these, these Undisputed Era guys who are a real throwback to, you know, the, the NWA era, a gimmick like a, you know a serial killer with Stranger Things theme music sticks out like a sore thumb. 
As far yeah. as the finish, it was as good as it could be. You know, I mean, the one thing about NXT, even reading through this review, is that the high points were very high and the low points were low. Not very low, but low. And uh, I don't know, man. I just... Dexter Loomis, I think, would even be better on SmackDown than NXT. It's just, it's just a weird fit for NXT. He's a Vince McMahon character. He's, he's basically just the son of Heidenreich. And that's the character they've given him. But he's better than Heidenreich, I will say that. Better at the gimmick than Heidenreich was. Oh, I mean, that's a low bar to clear. But yes, he's <laughs> better at the gimmick than Heidenreich. But he plays creepy well. He played it well when he was in Impact. What was the most surprising thing to me is I'm watching the match and they're brawling out by the cars. Why was the finish of this match not, or, or why was the gimmick for this match not like a casket match, but you put the loser in the trunk? You've built that angle up. A that match. Roderick Strong's scared of trunks. You have cars there. You could have done bumps on that on the car, which would have been interesting. Instead, a strap match for this, it would just felt like, hey, we have a gimmick we want to find a spot for. And we're just going to attach it to this. They made Bobby Fish look a little too Keystone Copsy when he comes out there for the, the, the run in and he gets, you know, hit by the strap and goes flying and then Roderick Strong taps. Yeah. You, you got to keep the Undisputed Era a little stronger, especially if it's someone with uh, Dexter Loomis. Uh, Zach, did, did, uh, did you catch this match? Do you have any, uh, any thoughts on it? I did watch the Dexter Loomis Roderick Strong match, and I think this was one of the weaker matches of the two shows. Uh, I really like, hold on, I'm going to get Scott back in right now. Uh, See, we were going to you to cover for the fact that Scott dropped again, but you're, you're killing the, uh, the magic of the show. I have to do both at the same time, unfortunately. Uh, it was, uh, I don't like Dexter Loomis's gimmick anymore. I liked it when it first started. I like the mystery. But the, the tortured artist, I think, sucks. I agree with Scott. I think it's... What is that entrance? It, it, well, it's weird, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. So bad. But the, All Scott, right. What, Scott, what did you think of the match? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, did you guys say what you thought already? Yeah, we, we talked about it, and then uh, Zach gave his thoughts, so the floor it, is yours. It was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was way too long. Uh, nothing really happened in it. I don't, like... I, and I so love Roderick so, Strong. Um, yeah, uh, were you going to ask something specific? I was going to say, so you disagree. Dan, uh, Zach, and I all thought this was match of the year. Uh, <laughs> I guess you're watching a different product, uh, which, is, which is fine. Um, after this, there was, there was one major promo segment on the show. Uh, Santos Escobar came out to uh, give his little state of Lucha address. Uh, the gist of it is... Lucha is more than just wearing masks and doing flips, which sounds like a really interesting progressive take of, hey, you're not understanding uh, Lucha, but somehow this makes him a heel. And then this leads to Drake Maverick and Brizongo coming out to, to set up uh, a match that we're going to see next week at the Great American Bash. Uh, Scott, what did this uh, segment mean to you? Felt like empty space to me. Felt like they, they, they booked a match for next week, and this is how they were going to get to it. Um, yeah, it didn't, it didn't feel very special for me. But I actually do like the idea. I mean, WWE, and they don't get enough – I don't know. Is, do you think they don't get enough credit for the amount of uh, Hispanic wrestlers they have? The amount of, like, um, you know, luchador, Mexican, you know, uh, like oh, – yeah. 
like in I, I don't know Andrade and and all those guys on I mean Raw is like oftentimes. Um, do, do you want the altruistic answer or do you want the true answer? Uh, the, the, yeah, what happened because then was, they do disrespectful things. I understand that too, but... Oh, it's not even that. Years ago, they did market research and they found that the audience that they can grow because of the post-attitude era where, you know what, you're not going to get as many fans at a bucket X, but the Hispanic community is a burgeoning market for them. And this was around the time of, uh, let's push Rey Mysterio to the moon, let's push Eddie Guerrero to the moon, Let's bring in the uh, the uh, uh, psychosis and hooventude and super crazy and, and try to build up as many Hispanic stars as possible. And they can keep going back to that because there's such a loyalty from that audience that they will tune in to see the stars that they, that they embrace and that they love. So that's why there's always going to be an influx of Hispanic talent. And they almost always wind up delivering whenever you give them an opportunity. Yeah. Dan, what'd you think of the promo? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, sorry, refresh me again, which promo it is. I had to text somebody about something. I'm gonna You're fine. To. Uh, this was the uh, Santos Escobar promo about uh, yeah, his oh, new oh, vision I'll, of Lucha. Back on something that you're, you know, I, I think he's good. Uh, let's see where this goes. But you're right. Whenever they deal with like a progressive issue, you're always like, uh I'm going to just see how, 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 what the Billy and Chuck of this all turns out to be. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, I thought like, you know, as far as their like Latino wrestlers, they, they do have a lot of them on, but I don't know. I don't understand. Like, like call Seth Rollins, Colby Lopez, you know, like there, you have a top fucking Latino wrestler right there. <laughs> I don't uh, think you're allowed to do that. <laughs> well, that's his real life name, right? Is it? Yeah. It's yep. Colby Lopez. He's, he's Latino. I, I, I just got a message that. from the uh, Latin community. They don't want them, so uh, we, can, <laughs> we can keep them. Uh, then there's the, uh, the main event, which was uh, not a women's championship match. It was Io Shirai and Sasha Banks. Uh, Dan, uh, you, you opened this up by saying how much you loved it, so fill in the, uh, fill the, in the gaps. The only complaint is I think their second match is going to be way better than their first match because – there are some like the the build the heat spots, and especially in the beginning of the match, it looked a little choreographed. Uh, I but ha- having said that, you know I, I think it was excellent. I think Io Shirai is an otherworldly talent. Her splash on the outside, I don't know how it didn't hurt Sasha Banks. Sasha sells better than anybody in the women's division. I get nervous because sometimes the way that like like Sasha's head like tilts back. I'm like Jesus Christ, she's not a fucking Pez dispenser. And I thought the, uh, the, the interference was pretty good. Like, as far as a WWE interference spot, I thought it was, I thought it was good. It kind of reminded me of, like, Cody interference spots at AEW. It made sense, and it, it, it had something to do with the story. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I loved it. I love the match. I can't wait to see it again. Scott? Yeah, I think this is one of those reminders of how great Sasha Banks is. You forget, and... Uh, there's moments where she kind of talks shit and, you know, there was that people were debating if she was even going to stay with the company for like a year because of whatever backstage issues. And then you start questioning, like, is she as great as she is perceiving herself or whatever, whatever. And she is unbelievable. I mean, she's like top four females in the company. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think she's unbelievable. And Oscar, right. Yeah. 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 Right now. Um, and I thought the finish was again, expected, uh, I'm 
happy Sasha took the loss, even though, you know, it, it was, they both cheated. You know, it's one of those things. It's, it's very 50-50 booking. It's very don't hurt anybody. But I was okay with that in this situation. I like this weird phenomenon that when wrestlers show up at NXT, they suddenly remember how to work again. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's what I was trying to get to. I was like, oh, that's, that's the Sasha Banks that uh, is great. She's been there the entire time. It, it's, it's booking, not her. It's an annoying reminder that NXT has a little bit more freedom than the main roster and that that's why wrestlers enjoy being in NXT and getting to ply their craft properly. And the fact that the WWE still adheres to their formula on Raw and SmackDown of this is how a match needs to look and how it needs to be, the, the, the wrestlers feel like they can actually stretch their legs a little bit in NXT, and it makes for a more entertaining show overall. So it, we saw it a little bit with, with Charlotte. Obviously, Finn Balor has had a bit of a renaissance since he's joined NXT. Sasha and Bailey seem to be having a great time there. It's the same building. It's the same crowds. It's the same cameras. It's just there's something when they get on this brand, they suddenly remember how much they love wrestling. And, and it showed. All right. Uh, moving on, we'll, we'll, we'll do a, a totality of which uh, pay-per-view-ish thing was better next week once we see part two of all of this gobbledygook. Uh, but uh, Tessa Blanchard oh. made, it, made it into the news. Uh, former Impact World Champion. Uh, she was fired from the company because she didn't want to send in videos for their TV. And her punishment for this is the possibility that I, uh, either AEW or WWE are going to snap her up. Uh, where do you want to see her next? And where do you think she can make the bigger impact? Dan. Uh, WWE for sure. I, I, I see her next. I, I'm trying to think of a – she's already wrestled in Japan. So I would say WWE – I don't even know an AEW. I mean, she could work with Sheeta, and I mean, I think that's it. There's not a lot of people that she could work with, and it would be a realistic, it would be a realistic fight. And and there's so much money in in her versus Charlotte, or you know, her versus Becky. I I, I just think it's uh, it's a no brainer. Scott, what do you think? I mean, I also think we have to acknowledge that there are, look, we don't know her, but there are rumors and on the dirt sheets that, you know, she wasn't the easiest to work with. Yeah. Not just, you know, like, oh, corporate doesn't like you or you're rude to this person. It's like legitimately the women in the locker rooms uh, seem to not like her very much, which with everything going or everything that happened, even though it feels like a year ago with speaking out and et cetera, et cetera, it's like, I, I don't know if either company wants to hire somebody who's kind of apparently a known bully. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, she's, she's damn good. She's damn good. Now I do want to say, you know, you, you hear at first I started laughing when I read last week that she got fired because she didn't want to send in footage. And I was like, that lines up with things I've heard about her. And it seemed Right. Not right. But then I also go, well, what the hell? I mean, the world's been crazy right now and maybe she's going through it. Like maybe all of this is her going through something. I don't know. You know, yeah, well, we forgive. But Sean. at the same time, you're the fucking champion and, and you're a woman who is the TNA champion. Like this is like an insane honor that you've somehow um, 
just spit all over. Again, unless she's going through something. But even then, it's like, I don't know. You still got to do your fucking job, right? I can't imagine what she's going through where she couldn't pick up a phone and do two 45-second promos. The problem that Impact has is they film five, six, seven weeks of television at once. And if you have zero representation from your champion, they don't exist for two or three months on TV. And it makes your promotion look infinitely worse. Uh, when I was in MLW, we had to do this a few times. We had a, uh, uh, one of our talent, uh, Tom Lawler, was unable to make it to a show. We didn't want to not have him on TV. He filmed four or five different things. He knocked them all out in a day. He looked like he was consistently on our TV every single week. Um, my interaction with Tessa Blanchard was, was very limited, and I think I saw, I ran the gamut of it in a, in a, in a four-day time span. Uh, we, she was there uh, in, in MLW in the back. She was uh, not telling tales out of school. She was with Ricochet at the time. They were a very open couple together, and, and we were working with Ricochet. And she was an absolute pleasure to work with. We decided, hey, you know, we have you here. Let's film some stuff. I did a sit-down interview with her for her character, and we played up the whole relationship with her and her dad and how it would work into a story. She shot a lot of B-roll footage for us. We were really excited that she was going to come in. And then she had business conversations, and everything kind of fell apart there. Uh, there were difficulty. There were issues. And, and you know, I wasn't part of it directly. Not going to get into hearsay, but it didn't work out. And from what I heard was, hey, we're not the first ones to have this problem. That being said, AEW has her father on the roster. Uh, she has a good relationship with Brian Cage when they work together at Impact. And she is the kind of person that AEW can build their women's division around. You know, they can't just keep skating on by with, you know, hey, we put on women's matches, but we don't have somebody to build the division around. If they get Tessa Blanchard, suddenly they are a big deal. WWE doesn't necessarily need Tessa Blanchard right now to make their women's divisions better. They have a strong uh, division overall for Raw and SmackDown and NXT. Could she replace Becky Lynch? Possibly. But who knows if she would flame out uh, pretty early, whereas AEW, I think there's more of an opportunity for her to be the, uh, the flagship of their division. Yeah, I also, I also think if she is a problem... There's a, there's room in AEW for her to to mess up more, um, and I don't know if that would be a great look for them. That's a fair point. Just because um, it seems like the talent is freer, and and with that freedom, if you if you're if you're someone who isn't so great, you know, with that freedom comes you being not so great. She immediately wears blackface on her first match. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a lot of tanner. Um, but no, you know, I, I agree with you, Scott. WWE makes more sound decisions, which brings us to our next topic. Vince wants to bring live crowds back <laughs> as early as July. Um, I, I'll, I'll field this one first because I put a tweet out that uh, I enjoyed, which was uh, they, they, they're rethinking bringing live crowds back because they don't have a large enough fan base for a lot of them to die this early on in the year. Um, this... Uh, not again, not to cast aspersions on the general idea of wrestling fans, but if the idea of COVID can only really be suppressed by constantly wearing a mask and social distancing and following strict rules, there are some people in the wrestling world, and I've sat in these crowds, who have bathing problems to begin with when there's not a <laughs> pandemic. Uh, everyone knows what wrestling fan smell is. So I can't imagine that doing 
live crowds is going to lead to anything other than really cool WWE tombstones being sold to these, uh, these poor families. Uh, Scott, are you willing to go to a live WWE show before this month is over? Hell no. I mean, first off, these live shows are going to be in Florida, I assume. Which, oh, of course. We're, we're a lawless third world country down here. <laughs> yeah, which, I mean, all that has to change. But again, I think it's like politically, uh, I think for political reasons, it's not going to happen. You know, um, like a, fr- a friend of mine mentioned me the other day how by deeming wrestling essential, um, which was like a big, bold, stupid move um, in doing that, even acknowledging that, you know, this is spreading it or this is causing more people to get it, like we see in WWE, it's kind of like they do have to be quiet about it because it, it Florida did them a favor. Florida yeah. did wrestling a favor, and I think we keep forgetting that. Um, this was a yeah big a big political uh, opportunistic moment with yes. the the Trump administration and Governor DeSantis and exploiting the relationship with Vince so that we can come up with some fake semblance of normalcy. So it makes sense that the next fake semblance of normalcy would be to do this uh, bringing these crowds in. Um, yeah, I, don't know I just you saw- I, I just think to me it's like stay under the radar for now. Um, I don't know if you saw the story, um, and I don't know if it's subsequently been by the time this goes up they've changed their mind but vanilla ice on fourth of july is still putting on a concert for about 2500 people in in texas and i don't know that that's worth dying for but there are people who are just so fed up with being stuck indoors that they're willing to to do anything to get back to some level of of normal and wwe kind of feels like they're exploiting a little bit yeah i uh and, and, you know, I try to think positive. I go, well, they have the money, so they'll spend it in, I mean, they'll, they'll probably do like a football stadium, right? I mean, if, if you have the money and you want to properly distance people, like they're not going to do a regular arena. This needs to be outdoors, right? They could do it in an arena. I, I mean, the, the, the problem right now is Florida, which is, is Florida, has already is already going to be hosting um, in Jacksonville. I believe the Republican National Convention is going to be here, as well as in Miami, one of the presidential debates. So Florida is already opening the door for we're going to host live events here that are going to have a large number of people at a safe distance. The WWE can say, look, this building has a capacity of 8,000 people. We're only going to have 3,000 people in it. It's going to look like an impact show. And we're going to be as safe as possible, and fans are going to make an informed decision. Dan, do you trust wrestling fans to make a smart decision? Um, you know, I, I, the, the joke answer is no, but I, I do think there, there's not going to be a ton of people that are going to these shows. I don't think it's going to be a hot ticket. Maybe, maybe I'm being naive, but after seeing that Trump rally, I, I think people were genuinely freaked out by what's happening, unless I guess you do it in Alabama. Do you think a bunch of K-pop fans will buy tickets for the <laughs> WWE show? No, I'm no. too old for that reference. Um, I mean, look, I, I think you look at the, the news that was going on today that Herman Cain was at the Trump rally in, in Tulsa. He contracted COVID and he's now, you know, in the hospital and we, and we wish him the best. Uh, Godfather's pizza was very affordable when I was in college. So uh, big shout out to, to Herman Cain. Hope you're, hope you're doing well, but uh, this one just feels like uh that means every live event is a horror show. 
speaking <laughs> speaking of COVID, uh, Roman Reigns, the the guy who is continuing to just not give a fuck, uh, conducted a another interview where he basically said, "Look, uh, you know, I respect the WWE. I respect everything they're doing. I'm not risking the safety of my family to to rush back here." Uh, Dan, what pictures does Roman Reigns have of Vince McMahon that he thinks he can just kind of get away with all this? <laughs> I mean, where was this Roman Reigns on TV? No this kidding. This guy is awesome. He's over. And I'm not even talking about his political beliefs. I'm just talking about, like, the way he expresses himself. I totally see why they trusted their, their company's future in him, because he's incredibly well-spoken when he's not on camera, which is not something you can say about a lot of those guys. I, 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 you know, only time will tell about, you know, look, about this COVID thing with Vince and Roman, even if Vince is annoyed at Roman or something, or, you know, like, you know, there's been people that have, have pulled, you know, pointed to Vince pulling, you know, him out of the signature or whatever, which I don't even know if it's true or not. Um, but like, you know, like, I, we're, we, we only have time to tell with COVID. And I even think the people that are most hardened uh, against COVID being a real thing, that by the end of COVID's run, <laughs> like, uh, um, which is a really scary thing to say, like, we're going to see a lot of people be like, well, I guess I was fucking wrong on this. You know, like, I was like that in March with COVID. I was early March. I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be fine, you know. And, uh, and then it turned out to be what it is. So I just think it takes people longer to realize uh, that this is, this is bad. Scott, are you taking medical advice from Roman Reigns? <laughs> I, uh, I think every time Roman says this, he is very aware that he has one more run with them and then they're not going to use him in any way that matters. Uh, there's no way he's this naive. Like, he, he knows what's up. He's been there long enough. Um, Vince definitely has an issue with this, no matter what he says. And I think you get one more, you know, run for gold because people are going to be excited to see him when he finally comes back in probably a year, probably next year's Mania or SummerSlam. Um, and so you're going to have that initial let's get some money out of him. But I do not see Vince. I think Vince is offended. I, I think Vince probably doesn't understand why people would be siding with Roman right now. I'm sure. I mean, this is the opposite of an Undertaker move. Yeah. I, I think if, if Roman comes back, he's pushing hard for a return of the shield gimmick just so he can wear the face mask. But he's, he's been very <laughs> oh, open man, about it on the table. Everybody was, it was just there to pick up. I was waiting for it and it didn't happen. I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to swoop in. for these I forgot details. they wore masks. Yeah, um, they were they were trendsetters. They're going to go in the crowd. They're not breathing the same air as the rest of us. Um, but you know what? His his point was pretty valid. Of I, I'm home with my little kids, and I'm not going to risk anything. And I respect the people that make the the conscious decision to do so. And when it's safe, I'll be back. And I'm the biggest star that they have. So uh, that was that was his take. Uh, a, another uh, wrestler had his take on, on uh, wearing masks and, and COVID-19, which was uh, Loki. Uh, Loki, who uh, I had the privilege of working with for two years, consider him a, a friend to, to some degree, and I'm scared shitless of him. That being said, he posted a statement of, uh, I respect your right to remain ignorant, 
Be ruled by fear and not by logic or intelligence. Wear a mask, social distance that ultimately harms your health and in the future, provided I do not pay for your bad decisions. Uh, basically, Loki worked himself into a shoot and uh, decided that he was going to come out and say that we've been shaking hands for generations. We haven't worn masks. You can't tell me what to do. Uh, it feels a little bit like paranoia, and it also feels a little bit like this guy's been in the wrestling industry for so long that he knows to just not trust anybody about anything. Uh, Scott, is low-key a better doctor for you than Roman Reigns? Uh, no, but I do think he will be winning the WWE Championship in WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this didn't come as a surprise like it it <laughs> happened and i went oh loki released a statement okay i mean for those like it really was kind of a statement like loki released a statement guys like he he let people know his feelings on an issue which nobody needs to know this and so like if if you think he sounds stupid think about how angry and stupid he's being at home that he actually committed to posting that um that being said, though, there is that thing where he goes like, uh, you know, since the beginning of time, we've been shaking hands and whatever. And like, you go like, well, that's a fact. So like, I can't, you can't argue it. Like, you can't argue the thing he's saying until well, it's like, but also we never had science that would like teach us like any of this stuff. Like, it's very, I mean, it's, it's so primitive. It's primitive. We, we shook hands from the beginning of time, but the life expectancy was 30. Yeah. And I know that's yeah. the life expectancy in pro wrestling today, but the rest of us have a fighting chance of seeing like maybe 50. Um, Dan, are you more scared of COVID or Loki? I'm more scared of Loki. Now that you know, now that you know Loki and, and that there, there's a connection there, but. Uh, I mean, I'm a Loki truther. I don't, I don't believe him. I don't think he's All real. opinions are uh, Roberts and Roberts alone, Loki. Uh, no, I, look, there is some element of like, of course, these guys are going to like, these guys have, I can't imagine how resentful I'd be at the world if I had to spend my entire life in shape. Like if every year I had to be in great shape and eat right, and then I see a flu come around that's only taking fat people like me, I, I imagine I would just be like, well, what the fuck? Just do what I've been doing and live well. Like that arrogant part. But then you have to take into account that that is such a gross generalization over everybody who's who is scared of of covid um yeah i don't know man i mean like i was a little bummed out when kane voted against it or whatever uh in in kentucky not to jump the shark i don't think it was on the countdown i was going to i was going to touch on it but no you're 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 right kane uh is the mayor of knox county was the only person uh, in a 7 to 1 vote to vote against requiring wearing masks in public. Uh, I get it. He, you know, if I had to wear a mask for as long as he would, I would be resentful of it too. Uh, he was booked pretty shitty when he wore that mask a lot, uh, Katie Vick alone. So he would probably vote for people not to wear masks. Uh, either that or there's just too many people in his county and his job is getting hard. And if he could thin the herd a little bit, this might be an easier road for him. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is the first consistent thing like a character from the wwe has done 
Because if you remember, the reason he got rid of that mask was because wasn't it RVD was telling him like, you're beautiful inside. It turns out it was bullshit. Like they had to tell us that it was psychological scars. Like uh, this whole time he was wearing a mask, we thought he had burns. And then it turns out it was like psychological scarring and not actual scars. And so, yeah, he just doesn't trust it. I get it. So you were hoping that they actually had deformed him in some way and that he didn't fully commit to the gimmick. Well, if you remember, were you there for that? Were you there for the reveal? No, I was not there for the unmasking. No. Okay. But, but he had makeup on. Yeah. And and like the hair was like all shitty. It was a wig. Yeah. It was like partially shaved. He looked like uh, one of the three stooges. Yeah. It, it, It came down to, because originally he talked with a voice box uh, his entire body was covered. And then, you know, I can't imagine if you're having to wrestle head to toe covered in something, you want to be able to show some skin. And then as he was wrestling basically in a tank top, you're like, I thought your entire body was scarred like V for Vendetta style. And it wasn't. And then he was wrestling at one point where you could see like mesh where you saw his nipples. And you're like, all right, he's clearly not hurt. And eventually it was, he's got to stop wearing that mask, which I'm sure smelled terrible. Because wrestling masks, notoriously, you're sweating in them. You can't wash them. They reek. Uh, yeah, so it's not taking in the PTSD of Kane. I, I think this is the first time we've seen it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just going to be hard. I'm never going to be able to be like, fuck Kane, just because everything I've heard about that guy is like that he is the nicest dude in the business. But yeah. I don't agree with the decision. It was a questionable decision. Speaking of questionable decisions, Scott's New Japan Corner is next. Woo! You boys got to tune in. Here we go. <laughs> All right. So, hold on. I don't want to lose you guys. Okay. Actually, I have, I have a question, Scott. Before you get to it, just, just for my own clarification, where is New Japan programming actually available on a weekly basis? Is it just New Japan World now, or yeah, where yeah, else can people find New Japan find World. It? You got to pay. It's less than $10 a month. I want to say it's like 9 62 it's like a very weird number that i'm sure makes sense over there you know i'm sure it looks real nice so the conversion doesn't add up you know but uh <laughs> anyway with the quarter quarterfinals this morning uh as well as yesterday was the end of the uh semifinals um i watched both live at 6 a.m um getting ready for work so what happened was uh this morning we had uh Sonata uh, beat Tai Chi. We had Okada beat Ishimori, uh, Bullet Club, some interference, but that was a really fun match because, again, you have a light heavyweight versus uh, Okada. Uh, you had uh, Hiromu Takahashi beat Ishii. Dan, did you hear that? Hiromu beat Ishii. Oh, uh, wow. In such a great match. Watch. Again, it's, uh, it is the light, uh, the light heavyweight champion versus Ishii, an absolute beast. And uh, it was cool. The story you kind of got in the ring was that Ishii was being kind of nice to Hiromu because Hiromu did break his neck two years ago or a year ago, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hiromu ended up winning, man. This this match was hard-hitting. This this was better than Lorcan uh, versus... Um, Thatcher. Thatcher. It really was. It, it was an absolutely fantastic match. And then um, Evil beat Yoshihashi. So what you have tomorrow morning, guys, you got to tune in for this. I mean, I guess you're listening as it's probably happening or it ended, but we have right now, um, we have set for tomorrow, Okada 
versus Hiromu Takahashi, which is just the coolest yeah. shit in the world. And you have Evil versus Sonata, which are um, two LIJ members facing yeah. each other. And then tomorrow night, we have uh, Lions Break Collision at 10 o'clock Eastern time on New Japan World. New Japan What'd show? you say? Isn't there, there's like a U.S. New Japan. Yeah, that's the U.S. Uh, New Japan show. It's called Lions Break Collision. And so far, there's only two matches. I think there is only going to be two matches. I think it's only an hour-long show, kind of showcasing like the U.S. Young Lions and the U.S. guys who can't quite get to Japan. So you have uh, Clark Connors versus Alex Coughlin. Uh, and then you have Jeff Cobb and Rocky Romero versus Carl Fredericks and TJ Perkins, which is the uh, main event there. So, you know, I'm going to tune in just to see what's going on and because there's a quarantine. But I, I really don't understand what this show is. They've done a fairly poor job with making English-speaking people watch this stuff, especially um, I've been watching this in Japanese commentary. The English commentary has been coming out like four to five days later uh so really? yeah but again i mean dude imagine being in japan and hearing what's going on in america and being like is that even going to be a thing like do we have to worry about promoting in, in, in <laughs> america in a year like it all does kind of seem like it's up in the air if if worrying about an american market is kind of good for business well, what can New Japan realistically do to get into this market? Because they were getting very, very close, but then everybody they the that bed they built up, man. yeah, everyone they yeah. built up wound up in AEW. You know, you, you're trying to New Japan was the place if you wanted to see Cody and the Bucks and Marty Skrull and Kenny Omega, and they're all elsewhere and easily accessible. And New Japan just kind of it feels like they've retreated in a way where they're just sticking a lot with their their homegrown talent. Now, they might get the infusion because the, the, the rumor is that uh, Gallows and Anderson are supposedly signing with Impact and that they've brokered a deal where they can still wrestle in New Japan. But, you know, what else can New Japan realistically do to get an American audience? Yeah. And you have to remember Moxley is free to work there. Uh, Jericho is free to work there, and they both have. But until this travel ban is lifted, that's not happening. So you're, like, strictly – basing this on Japanese talent and Zack Sabre Jr. That's it. That's all that's over there right now. Will Ospreay can't even get there. So you're going to see a show that just really relies heavy on their Japanese talent, and they're bringing in, like, Nagata and stuff, guys who were huge years ago, uh, and kind of – yeah, they just have to put it on hold. I, every company has to put a lot of things on hold, and New Japan has to put their expansion on hold, which is a major bummer. I don't know whether there's such a delay on the English commentary, considering we have satellite technology, and I can't imagine Kevin Kelly is very busy, uh, where he could literally just be streaming this and record yeah. it, and it could be up a few hours later. It, That's, you know. You're absolutely, I mean, even a, a day later um, would be fine for, for so many people. But yeah, this is like four to five days we're waiting for these things. It's, it's not like he's. It's not like he's flying over there speaking. But, but I will say that the, the Japanese commentary does rule. I mean, it's it's nice to the ears. Like you go, ooh, they're they they believe in what they're watching. But come on, I don't quite know what the fuck they're. There's a lot of I, I, and I go, okay, I don't know what's happening here. It's your ASMR. Yeah, yeah, it is kind of that. It's kind of like getting your back cracked a little. <laughs> 
So the WWE is trying to dismiss the uh, the lawsuit involving the uh, the Saudi claims uh, against the Kansas City uh, fund, who's trying to say that the WWE had the gall and audacity to put their precious wrestlers at risk. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll just kind of jump in first on this from the from the legal end. This goes back to what we had discussed before because what we had read on the dirt sheets was that uh, there was a dispute between the WWE and the Saudi government over $60 million that was owed to them for putting on the super show. And then the WWE supposedly cut the feed and the Saudi people were not very happy about this. The wrestlers get on the plane to leave and then there's mysteriously uh, mechanical issues and they're stuck there. And a couple of the wrestlers get kind of angry about the fact they're being held hostage in a foreign country in the Middle East and decide to tweet about this, and they ultimately wind up being returned home safely. Uh, it's a great story. It's a great narrative. The WWE, bless their hearts, their legal team basically came out and said, you're relying on pro wrestling dirt sheets for actual fact as the basis of a lawsuit. How fucking stupid are you? So I have to admire their, uh, their tactic there of it's all hearsay, uh, the the story about the feed being cut wasn't true. The story of money being owed wasn't true. Not only did the WWE release about mechanical issues, but the company that, that had the plane released about it. So either this is a very elaborate conspiracy, which let's be honest, it probably is, or on his face to a court, it's one side using a disgruntled former wrestler and uh, the pro wrestling news websites. So... I think the WWE is, is not going to lose a ton of sleep over this, but uh, what are your, what are your thoughts on this guys, Dan, I'll start with you. Well, when I put this on the list, Robert, I just wanted you to explain this to us. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, well, it's it basically like, like, I don't know what I can bring to that. That's going to like help it. I agree with everything you said. My, my question is, so what do you think actually happened? Most likely what, they said happened probably happened that there was some discrepancies and, and uh, money was owed and they, they had the audacity to raise that issue. And Vince could have had a hot headed moment of, of trying to, uh, you know, raise the ire of them by cutting the feed. And then they, they ground them for a very, very long time to the point where it wind up, wound up impacting SmackDown and leading to one of the best SmackDown episodes ever. So it's yes. possibly the Saudi government decided they wanted to try to book a better episode of SmackDown. But it feels it's a lot of smoke, and I feel like there, there's a lot of smoke. There has to be some fire, but there's no there's no proof to it. It's kind of like how Vince never distributed steroids in the '90s, and the U.S. government just went after him with phantom claims because none of those wrestlers did steroids. <laughs> yeah, well, my thing is also like legally, even if that did happen, how is the WWE at fault? I mean, they were the ones being held hostage. Isn't this victim blaming? That, that they went to the Saudi uh, Arabia in the first place, that they jeopardized their wrestlers, not because the, the people who own this fund care about the wrestlers as people, but they are commodities. Uh, if you don't have talent and you put the talent at risk, then there's not a TV show. If there's not a TV show, then the stock is worthless. So as long as the WWE is putting people in jeopardy, they're in trouble. The timing of this suit is what's going to help the, uh, the the Kansas City people, I think, because all of the COVID news around what's going on at the performance center, and even something as, as small as Taz's comment, is the kind of thing that that 
shines a big light on, hey, is WWE taking care of their talent in a way that's going to keep them on TV making money? And they owe that duty to shareholders. Yeah, yeah. Mm. All right. So uh, the, the final part of the, uh, the 10 count here is turn raw ratings around. Uh, Scott, if they handed the, uh, the book to you tomorrow, what are you going to do to, to single-handedly turn raw ratings around? Well, Raw's rating was very low this week. Um, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it was like 1.79 million viewers or something, right? Yeah. I mean, we were consistently getting like all-time low ratings. And you can't blame them, not even just because of what's going on, but these are legitimately brand new talent, and the old talent they're using is talent that never worked well in the ratings anyway. I mean, you have MVP... I mean, was Big Show ever a draw? I in would, WCW, would... he was. He was a draw? In WCW. I mean, he had the monster... Yeah. He had the monster truck thing with Hogan. Uh... Yeah, everybody thought he was Andre the Giant's son when he was in WCW. Oh, shit. So, the, look, I mean, the only solution is something they're not going to do, even though they should do it. Um, I think they need to get rid of NXT. Uh mm. It's oh. now. I don't think they need to get rid of NXT. It's just the talent that can make any type of dent seems to be on NXT, like a Keith Lee, uh, a Finn Balor. Which what the fuck is he doing there again? You're you know, uh, there's no reason for it. Um, and you just just treat it more like sport, even if it's just for a moment. I think now is the time that you make like a bold change and a bold move, and if it doesn't work, change it. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? You get a worse rating? It's kind of irrelevant in the moment. It's like, as long as you figure it out by the time life starts getting back to normal, I think you will be excused. And so now is the time to get experimental, and they're doing the opposite. They are getting, like, very throwaway. Every week is a throwaway on Raw and SmackDown. And so I think you need to take it seriously and you need to beg a guy like John to, to show up or to record a video or to somehow interject in a match or, or get behind a person or, or just say you're going to fucking live tweet the show. Just, just throw money at the rock and say, can you live tweet us? Like when Charlie Sheen did it? Yeah, but somebody that, you know, matters and doesn't remind us of being sick. Yeah, Dan, yeah. how are you fixing this? Um, well, the way to fix the ratings is, is, in my mind, is something that just can't work for them right now. And that's that they need to take a couple months off. Uh, if you looked at UFC, it didn't, it had two months off. So when that first pay-per-view came back, the numbers were huge. People don't want to see wrestling right now. Just have an off season for a couple months. I guarantee you, like if you if you incorporate some of what Scott said, like if you have John Cena do a couple interviews about it on ESPN until that happens, people are going to get excited again. But you know, if they do that, then they don't have any new content for their TV deals, so they can't do it. But that's the only way I would I would see interest in fans going up. Right now, they they're literally beating a dead horse. I think if they're going to save raw ratings, what they need to do is they need to suspend the brand split because there's just not enough stars to sustain a three-hour show on Monday and a two-hour show on Friday. And I know that that's tough because they promised Fox uh, a strong division between the two. 
but they also promised Fox ratings and not to throw piss at one another, and they've dropped the ball on all of that. <laughs> so I think if you can get the the stars on both brands, they're already there at the Performance Center. It's not like you need a brand split right now, and you don't need two separate segments involving Andrade and uh, Garza every single week. I don't need to see the, the same go talent. Go back to one champ, too? Go back to one WWE champ? I think you no. I think you can keep both champions. I think that you can have Drew be the the champ of Raw and Braun be the champ of SmackDown. But I think you can move the guys around and let them appear on both shows. I think if you had Big Show cutting a promo on Raw about Randy Orton and then Orton on SmackDown, you're stretching the the talent that you have as best as possible, and it's going to give you fresh different matches that you didn't get otherwise. You know, if you think back to when they had the sustained brand split the draft shows were interesting because it was the only time where you really got a raw guy against the smackdown guy consistently and they can just give you a lot of really good matches on smackdown they've kind of been trying to do that it's all right how do we kill four segments let's just give them aj styles and daniel bryan for 30 minutes nobody's going to care everyone will be fine with it the wrestling fans will tune in to see good wrestling the more casual fan will tune in to see the, the, the bigger names that, are, that they can be advertised for, for both shows. And I think that might be the only viable solution that they have because Raw wasn't a bad show this week. It was just long. And you feel like uh, you're, you're playing with not a full deck. And we are currently not playing with a full deck. Uh, Dan, <laughs> Dan had a moment of, of technical difficulties, but uh, we'll, we'll start wrapping this up here for a, for a landing. Um, this coming Sunday, uh, or I'd be dropping on Monday for our Patreon. We are going to be covering Great American Bash 1989, uh, headlined by Ric Flair and Terry Funk. There's also a War Games match, the Road Warriors, the Midnight Express, and Dr. Death Steve Williams, uh, taking on the Fabulous Freebirds and the Samoan SWAT team. I, I feel like Conrad Thompson all of a sudden highlighting all this stuff, and I'm going to sell you a mortgage when this is all said and done. And uh, Jim Ross, wow, we got we got um, Bill Irwin on the show. I'm just gonna, gonna put some butts and seats. I, I do a better Jim Ross. I wasn't prepared for it. Now I shit the bed. I'm sorry. Um, all right, let's let's just get to plugs and 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 put this thing in the ground. Dan, what would you yeah, like to plug? I just want to thank our patrons. Uh, plug the Patreon again. I'm really looking forward. When I saw this, when I saw this card, I was like, holy shit, this is this is unreal. Uh, apparently, the flair and and uh and funk match is a classic so i i can't wait check it out and uh please subscribe to the podcast you know leave a five-star review any way you can support us thanks so much yeah same for me please subscribe to the patreon uh i absolutely love it it's it's been a highlight of my week um looking into whatever the topic is of that week and i have not seen this pay-per-view i am genuinely excited to watch it and i it's just it's just pure fun. Just tune into that shit and uh, please subscribe and uh, follow me, Scott underscore Chaplin. And you can follow me on Twitter at WWCreative underscore ISH. Uh, once again, there is a pro wrestling tease sale going on this weekend. You can save 20% off all of the uh, creative shirts I have up there using promo code America. Uh, un until next time, thank you guys for, uh, for letting me host and, and not, uh, crash this thing into a mountain like uh, Ultimate Warrior would have expected. 
Uh, everyone enjoy your, your 4th of July weekend for the patrons. We'll see you on Monday for the rest of you freeloaders. We will see you next Thursday. Thank you all for tuning in.